0: a a connected Christmas, so I'm going to ask you if you could, uh, if you have your Bible with you this morning or around you, if you could grab it and uh, join me in Luke chapter 2, the book of Luke chapter 2. We spent two weeks in Luke 1 and in a couple of Old Testament prophecies, and now uh, we're going to kind of turn the corner from prophecy and promise to fulfillment in, in Luke chapter 2. Um, and uh, again, I want to begin by just taking the opportunity to wish everyone a Merry Christmas. Um, I pray that uh, in five days, when Christmas time comes, I pray that you have a fantastic uh, Christmas. and uh, And that is going to be founded and based and built upon the story that we are going to share this morning. Christmas is always good, because God is always good, and Jesus is always God with us. Uh, So in five days, we're going to celebrate the birth of Christ, but today, on December 20th, for the Holmes family, uh, we are also celebrating the birth of Noel. Uh, Today is Noel's 10th birthday. She is double digits now, and uh, she's back in Graceway Kids right now, so if you see her today, uh, just, you know, sing happy birthday to her or something like that. She may run away. I don't know, but, uh, but just saying happy birthday to her. We're excited. Uh, we're excited for her and I'm thankful for, uh, the blessings that God has given us in our family. And, um, So, very happy to celebrate her birthday today. Luke chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 1 through 20. And the passage that we're in today is probably what is most thought of when you think of the Christmas story. I mean, how can you not? Because it's the one that Linus Van Pelt used to teach Charlie Brown what Christmas is really all about, right? Luke chapter 2 is the quintessential Christmas passage. So on this last Sunday before Christmas, I'd like to open the sermon by just reading the traditional Christmas story. Uh, One of the things about Christmas is, you know, we have traditions. You know that we that we keep many of your family. You have different family traditions and things, and maybe those traditions have kind of been attacked or had to have been amended this year just because of the way the year is. Let's do something familiar this morning, all right? And I want to read this morning. And if you are able, uh, out of reverence to God's word, would you please stand as we read this passage together? Um, if you don't have a copy of Scripture with you, it'll be on the screen for those who are here uh, in house with us. And I'm going to read it because it is most well known in the Old English of the King James uh, Version. So it's beginning in verse number one. It says, "...and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was the governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and the lineage of David." ...to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, and keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore, they were very afraid... And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You shall find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the angels said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known unto us. And they came with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things, and she pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Lord God, we thank you for this story. We thank you that this is the beginning of your redemption plan. Because as we celebrate the resurrection and the new life that is offered to us through the gospel and the resurrection of Christ, the death, the burial, and the resurrection, there could be no resurrection if there were not first a birth. We thank you, Lord God, that in our sin, in our brokenness, in our apathy and our arrogance towards you, you still chose to come to us, Lord Jesus, to be God with us. Holy Spirit, I pray now that you will speak to us, that you will minister to us. Lord, you know each and every heart need that is, that is, that is represented in this service today. So I pray that you would speak to us on every level. In Jesus' name we pray. And God's church said... Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And uh, in a year that has been kind of crazy and upside down and unpredictable as 2020, it's just good to return to something sweet and familiar like the Christmas story, isn't it? I love. I'm just going to let you know something. I love preaching at Christmas time. But there's also something that I hate about preaching at Christmas time. Is after almost 20 years of preaching, how do you keep preaching the same message over and over and over and over again with freshness? And the truth is that the message, it, it just it never changes, but it's just as fresh every day, isn't it? Because God is always good, and there is always someone who has not yet received that message, received that Savior, received uh, the Savior that was born to us. Actually, every time you preach, and this is one of the biggest reasons that I love preaching on Christmas, because it's the story, it's telling the story of God making good on a promise. Actually, every time you preach about the promises of God, it's going to be a story about God making good because he makes good on his promises. He doesn't make a promise that he never intends to keep, and he has never not been able to keep a promise that he has made. He will never let us down. Ever. There's never been a promise that he has not kept, but there is just something special about this one. And the reason is because for centuries... All of creation waited, they longed, they groaned for the Messiah to come. The one that, as, as Ryan preached a couple of weeks ago, the one that would rise with healing in his wings, as it says in Malachi. They were waiting for the Messiah that would establish a new government of perfect justice, like it said in Isaiah chapter 9. The one who would bring peace, who would be the prince of peace. The one who would lead the captive free. The one who would set everything right in the midst of our turmoil for centuries all of creation longed and groaned and waited and they waited and they waited and they waited and they went through hell on earth many times and they waited and they kept waiting for centuries God's people had heard and held to his promise and as the years passed the promises remained but it didn't seem that fulfillment was coming and even in Luke chapter 1 as we get into the New Testament as the 400 years of silence was broken the silence was broken with what? another promise i'm gonna send it i'm gonna send it. and you kind of get the indication that everybody was kind of at the tipping point right now right and then we turn the page to luke two and we go from prophecy and promise to fulfillment in church that's the thing that we have to hold on to is that whatever promises god makes to you fulfillment is never a question it's only a matter of when it's only a matter of when Everything changes in Luke chapter 2. For centuries, the connection that God's people had with him was just through stories, was just through promises. But now, their connection was with Jesus Christ. And ever since then, our connection with God has been through Jesus Christ. Not just the prophecies and the promises, but the fulfillment that we have in Jesus through Emmanuel, through God with us. This series has been about what is our connection to God when everything seems weird, and this year, unlike any other, has just been strange. We've been distanced. We've been isolated. We've been told to be skeptical of one another. We've been told to judge one another by the color of their skin, by their political party. We've been told to just hold everybody at a distance, but folks, that is not the way God created us to be. God created us to be connected to him, and then through him, we will be connected properly to one another. And that's been kind of the the theme behind this this message series series this this year, is that God God always does what is necessary to connect with us, and he desires for us to connect with him. We saw the past couple of weeks, we saw that we see God move when we connect with his will. We also saw that we see a reason to worship when we connect with his presence. And then this week, the big idea of the message is simply this, is that we see the miraculous grace of God in how he chose to connect with us. Because we don't connect with him first. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. So we don't naturally, and we're not naturally bent to just run to Jesus on our own. We have to be poked and prodded and welcomed and called by God. And so this is the miraculous grace is that when we didn't deserve it in our brokenness and in our sin and in our walking away from God, he still chose to overcome all of those things to connect with us. He sent Jesus, the darling of heaven, from the portals of heaven, from the throne room of heaven to a cave or a stable to lay in a trough so he could come to us so that then we could come to him. See, the most miraculous part of the story is how God chose to set redemption's plan in motion. How he chose to bring Jesus to us is just as miraculous as the fact that he came to us. The way he sent him, the way Jesus came to us cannot go unnoticed. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. In a, in, a, in a year where nothing happens the way we expected, we have to understand that the Christmas story, nothing that we read in the Christmas story would be what normal people would expect. And that's what makes it so awesome. That's what makes this story so beautiful. So once again, let's look at the Christmas story, but let's ask ourselves some questions. Why'd he do it that way? Because God shows up in the strangest of places. The first thing, he chose to come at a chaotic time. God chose a miraculous way to come, but he chose a very weird way of coming. He chose to come at a chaotic time. And I think this year we can all pretty much relate to chaos, right? Enduring a global pandemic, Uh, no one, when you, how many of you, when you sat down like last year after Christmas and started making out your New Year's resolution list, you wrote down endure global pandemic. None of us wrote buy extra masks on our, on our shopping list for January 1. None of us did that. No one set health goals this year that said stay inside as much as possible and order takeout. We didn't set health goals like that. Our world changed in March. And it keeps changing every day, and and there are many ways that the world is never going to be the same. And for many people around the world who have suffered loss and sickness, the world will never be the same. But Jesus will. He always has, and he always will. Yeah, we can understand chaos. So look at the chaos that was taking place in Luke. And I'm going I'm to look at Luke chapter 1, <clears throat> Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 again from the CSB. It says, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire, or the whole world should be taxed, as we are used to hearing it says, or the whole empire should be registered. Now, this first registration or taxing took place when Serenius was governor of Syria, so everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. And you may be asking yourself, okay, where's the chaos in that? I pay taxes every year. I just did the census report this year. Where's the chaos in that? I don't even use TurboTax. I fill it out by hand, and I don't feel the chaos in that. First of all, we have to understand that it's not just what was going on, it's how it was taking place. See, first of all, you see that word decree right there? That word decree meant it was a mandate that was given outside of the law on the whim of a a tyrannical dictator. This was a decree that was punishable by death if you did not follow it. It was a law that was outside of an already oppressive law that they had to go and that they had to do, and it turned the world upside down. Decrees in Scripture. Each time you see a decree in Scripture, most of the time it is indicates and it resulted in hardship and persecution on God's people. Through the Old Testament, you saw the decree that Darius made that everybody would only pray to him, and that's what got Daniel thrown into the lion's den. We saw decrees when Nebuchadnezzar said, "You will only bow to the idol that I have made," and that got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into the uh, thrown into the fiery furnace. Decrees were never viewed as good in Scripture. Decrees were meant to show us that there was oppression taking place and that there was chaos ensuing. Then we see this word, the whole empire. You see, why did Caesar want to do this? Well, the reason that Caesar wanted to do this because this was happening at a time in Roman history. And history is always about pr- perspective, isn't it? See, when you look at Roman history, they will dictate this time and call it the Pax Romana, which means the time of Roman peace. Because it was a time when their empire was just growing and growing and growing. And the way it was growing was because their army was going in, and their army was growing, and they were invading, and they were taking over lands, and they were taking over money, and they were taking over businesses, and they were taking over entire nations of people. At this point, the Roman Empire had grown bigger than any other empire known to man at this point. No one could stop Rome. Well, no one on earth could stop Rome. You see, they called it the Roman peace, but everybody that was under oppression called it the great scourge upon themselves. So what he did was, this taxing, this registration was not just going and paying your taxes, which were already high and stifling enough, but it was they wanted to take a census because as the empire grew they needed to know how many people were under them, and more importantly they needed to know how many men were there that were able-bodied to be forced into military service so they could continue their expansion. So, when Joseph went, he wasn't just going to pay his taxes, they were going to check him out to see if he could be forced into military service, to fight as the conquered for their conqueror. Imagine how that must have felt. So, the whole empire was growing, and then it says everyone went to be reg- uh, registered. This was a massive undertaking. They didn't just go to Roman.gov and fill out their census, they had to go to their hometown. So, you had people having to, having to leave their farms. Possibly at harvest time and just let it be or leave it with their families to hopefully take, take over and run it. You had people who had to close up their businesses for a long period of time and sacrifice profits to go and do what they were supposed to do for the government. Anything of that sound familiar? It was a time of chaos. The world was upside down. Nothing seemed normal. And I would venture to say that there was probably the story of Mary giving birth outside of home and and on the road was not just the only one that that happened. You had to have pregnant ladies traveling with their husbands to be registered at the same time too. So what's so ironic is that the Romans referred to this as a time of peace while the rest of the world was less than peaceful. See one man's peace and prosperity is another man's oppression and turmoil. We have to remember that sometimes. So added to this for the Jewish people they were under some of the steepest oppression Out of all these people, they were kind of branching into Germanic areas, into the European areas, and stuff like that. And they were more kind of tribal type of people. But when they took over Jerusalem and Israel and those areas, you see, they taxed them like crazy because they had the money to pay it. And so they were just taxing them. And the the Jews were under some of the most fierce oppression because they had the most to, to pilfer from. And while all that was taking place, the religious leaders were beginning to sell out their faith for political gain. And you have to wonder this. Why would God choose to send the Prince of Peace, the conquering king at this time? I think when you dig into that question, the answer is beautiful. It's because Jesus didn't come to set up political peace. Jesus didn't come to set up political peace. He didn't come to set all of the nations in order the way we would like them to be. He came to redeem the world. He came to redeem us from our number one cancer and our number one problem, which is sin. And that peace that he comes to give is not bound by a nation or a flag or an empire or an ethnicity. Surrendering to Jesus brings peace to all who surrender. To all. So he came to us in a time of chaos. And I just want to ask you the question as we move on into the second thing. What chaos are you in right now in your world that Jesus needs to bring peace into? What chaos is around you? that Jesus could speak some peace to it. The second thing that God chose was a humble birth. A humble birth. Look at verse number four. Joseph went also up from the town of Nazareth in, Gal- in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because it was the house and the family line of David to be registered with Mary, engaged to him and pregnant. While they were there, the time came for him to give birth. She gave, for- gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped in tightly in cloth, and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them in the inn. So the obvious question here is, okay, why did God choose this time of chaos? Why in the world would God choose to send His Son, the King of Kings, God in the flesh, why would God choose to send Him in this way? Why in chaos and why in such a humble and lowly manner? Why would God choose the light and the life of heaven from the throne room of heaven to be born to a blue-collar carpenter's household from Nazareth? And then on top of that, why in the world would they choose that he wouldn't even have a room to be, to, be, to be born in, or a hospital, or even, let's say, he's supposed to be the king of kings, right? So why is he not in a palace? That's what we would look at and say, okay, he's the prince, he's the son of God. Why Why is he not being born on the top of a mountain for all the world to see? It just doesn't seem to make sense by our standards. And to top it all off, here's the thing. The one thing that Joseph, his earthly father, could have done as a carpenter for his son was to build him this amazing crib. And because of the taxing and because of the registration, they couldn't even be home. And he had to find a used, discarded trough to lay his son in. It just doesn't seem to make any sense. You see, the Old Testament prophecy spoke of the Messiah, a prince, a king of kings, the day star that would rise with healing in his wings, the one who's going to set up a government and a kingdom so vast and so prosperous that it would know no end. And this is how the Son of God enters the world. This is how that amazing figure, the Messiah, enters the world. And so for the lack of explanation, the only thing I can say is, of course. That's the way God chose to do it. We hear that old line, the Lord works in mysterious ways, right? This is example number one, isn't it? The Lord does work in mysterious ways. But see, the fact that this great and mighty God, this King of Kings, the wonderful Counselor would come to us in such a humble manner, it wasn't for him. It was for us. You see, for many of us, for many of you, for me, I know, I can't approach a king, but I can approach a baby. Everybody wants to approach a baby. So we could all approach for him. He came in the humble manner, not for him, but for us. See, God's going to get his glory in his time. This was not a moment for him to receive all the glory and lauding of the world. That's coming one day. But this was for us to have and to receive him. Jesus, the mighty God, but he is not too mighty to stoop into our chaos and our humble existence. Even the fact that he came as a baby, this vulnerable baby, instead of a conquering warrior, screams humility and simplicity and approachability. See, Jesus is the Lion of Judah, but he chose to come to us as an unassuming baby in a humble manger. This tells me this. God's not against us. He's for us. He's opening the doors wide to come to him. And see, in our existence, is humble, too. No matter what your current earthly status may be, no matter how much money you may have in the bank account, no matter where, how many houses you may have on how many hills and how many countries, Jesus came because we are all level at the foot of the cross. We all stand before the cross in desperation and need. See, he comes to us in our chaos. He comes to us in our humiliation. And the question we ask ourselves today is, have you found yourself humbled by your need for him? We spend most of our lives, and the world is set up in a way to make us ignore our need for him. It does. But there are some things that no matter how hard you fight... You just can't stop it from coming. Real life things. We're seeing it right now in our church. It's real stuff. And no matter how many times we want to try to turn ourselves away or find a vice or find something to medicate that pain, the only thing that will help it, the only thing that will provide that healing balm will be Jesus. That baby in the manger. Number three, he chose the lowly shepherds. He chose lowly shepherds. Verse number 8, and I won't read the entire passage there that I had, but verse number 8, I want you to see this really close. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch over the flock at night. And an angel of the Lord stood before him, and the glory of the Lord shone around him, and they were terrified. The first mention of the arrival of Jesus went to drumroll please, shepherds. Right? You know, we live in the social media age, right? Everybody has all these these grand announcements and stuff. And, you know, when, when babies are on the way and the excitement is there, there's announcements on Facebook and sonogram pictures and all of those things. And everybody's excited. And they want the world to know. And what did God do? Exactly the opposite. He showed up to shepherds on the night watch. Now, the thing about shepherds is... Um, You know, he didn't he didn't post it for the whole world. Let's let's put it in today's lingo He sent a private direct message to some shepherds who didn't have a whole lot of followers Right to share it with okay But why the shepherds it doesn't make sense the shepherds were the lowest class of people in ancient Jewish life They were paid very little. They were considered to be ceremonially Unclean get this shepherds were not even allowed to go to the temple to worship Because their lifestyle and their livelihood made them so unclean that the people of God said you will taint the house of God with your presence That's rough And what I find so significant and so interesting is that when the son of God the Savior the Messiah of the world God himself on earth shows up God says I want the shepherds the ones who you won't let in my house. I want them there at the manger Come on man. How good is God? What kind of message does that send to us? You may be sitting here or you may be watching right now and you think I have screwed up so much that I'm so far away that God doesn't want me anywhere near him. This verse right here, the fact that he came to shepherds tells you that is a lie that Satan is trying to tell you to keep you from him. He wants you. He calls you. He sent his son to lay in a manger so you could approach him. When everyone else, when the religious people, when all the people said we want to preserve this holy empire... So you guys are just too unclean. You keep watching over our sacrificial animals, but you'll never be able to come in and make a sacrifice yourself. God said, that's the one I'm going to. When Jesus was born, he didn't tell those that were closest to him. The Pharisees, the priests, and the Levites, the wealthiest, the most righteous. He told a group of people that no one cared about, who weren't even allowed to worship with others. He told the ones furthest from him first. Why? because that's our God and I love this too though the position of shepherds was lowly in those days the role today for us is often viewed in a very positive way when we hear the word shepherds we think of the nativity scene with the shepherds there at the manger we think of Psalm 23 the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want we think of Jesus as our great shepherd shepherds are not looked at in the same way today and the reason for that is because of God God elevated the position of a shepherd of a shepherd. God elevated those shepherds because he included them. He reached to them, and that teaches us something so vital that we have to understand today. You may not be a shepherd. None of us are shepherds. We're sheep. We're even lower than the shepherds. But here's the thing. You may be feeling like a shepherd. You may be feeling like I don't belong in this world. I don't belong in this setup. I just don't fit in. I can't seem to make. Th- I, no one cares about me. Here's the thing: God cared about shepherds enough to announce the birth of His Son to Him to them first. He cares for you, and when He saves you, He elevates you from a pauper to a prince, and He gives your life significance and He gives it purpose, and He changes your life into something meaningful that brings God glory and honor praise. When you come to the Messiah, you're never the same. Just as he chose those lowly shepherds, to the the furthest from him to hear of him first, he's chosen you and me to hear of the Son of God and to come running to him too. He comes to us in chaos, he comes to us humbly desperate as we are, he comes to us lowly as we are, and I know that we need to be finished, so I'm going to fly through these last points fast. He chose an undeserving humanity. Verses 13 and 14, it says this, suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to the people he favors, or peace on earth and goodwill toward men as we know it most famously. So you knew God wasn't going to be able to hold it in too long, right? So now he begins to show off a little bit. All of a sudden angels, the angelic choir shows up and the shepherds are looking and they're like, whoa, what's going on? This was the evidence of the first Christmas cantata that ever took place. But look at three important things that are pronounced in this angelic announcement. First of all, he says, glory to God. It's hard to imagine God getting glory from such a chaotic and simple birth, but that's the glory. He is glorified by his Son and through his Son, and his ultimate glory will come one day when the Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But he got the glory started right here. And he said, peace on earth. This great and glorious God of the highest heaven has come down to dwell with us and with him, and with him he brings peace on an earth that doesn't know anything but chaos. And then you see this word here, and in the King James it's translated goodwill toward men. In other translations it's translated as people he favors. It means the exact same thing. Why would he offer us goodwill? What makes us deserving of it? Why would he favor us? What makes us deserving of any of that? The only thing I can say is because we have his breath in our bodies. He breathed life into Adam. That's what makes us different from all the, other, all the other aspects of creation around. But he favors us. Why would he favor us as sinners, as spiritually dead, as destitute, as irreparably damaged goods? And here's the thing, that's the beauty of the gospel that we preach. Is that we don't deserve it, but God chose to give it. That's what makes the gift so great and so priceless. He came to us when we had no business coming to him. See, we're undeserving. The most pristine, goody-goody, two-shoes, godliest person you know in your life doesn't even scratch the surface of having the ability to take one step towards God on their own. It's because of the grace of God that that path has been made. He chose us undeserving as we are, and it makes no sense, and that's what makes grace so amazing. He comes to us in our chaos. He comes to us humble as we are. He comes to us lowly as we are, undeserving as we are. And five, he chose a simple message. A very simple message. And as your preacher and as your pastor, I need to apologize because I never intend to, but if I ever make the message not simple, I'm sorry. Because it's simple. Luke chapter 2 verse number 10 here's what the angel said don't be afraid for look I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people for today in the city of David a savior was born for you who is the Messiah the Lord key words here in this passage don't be afraid first of all that's a message (laughs) that we should none of us should fear that God has come for us but in a way it is something that we should fear in the presence of God, we begin to see just how broken and undone we are, right? Everyone who was in, stood in the presence of God, Isaiah is a perfect example of it. In Isaiah chapter 6, he was just undone in the presence and in the locality of God. And he's like, oh man, I'm, I'm lost and I'm undone and I need you. But he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It should invoke a little fear because we come to realize the wages of our sin is death. But this is what the gospel says. The fear of death, the fear of our sin is overcome by the presence of God. He says there's good news and this is the very nature of the gospel. It is good news. It's the best news. That he comes to us in our chaos, in our humility. He comes to us in our lowliness. He comes to us in our undeserving nature. He comes to us in all of those. He has come and this should bring joy to us. But here's this one. He says a savior was born for you. For the shepherds, this had to be one of the first times in their lives that they were included and seen as worthy to anyone. And the first person that said, I see you, was their creator. <laughs> I just, I try to put myself in that place, man, to hear God sees you, I see you, and I care enough, I'm, I'm telling you, and I'm, I'm, you're the only guys I'm telling right now first times in their lives they would known that they were included and they were seen as worthy to anyone. And when he said that the message is for all the people, what that means is he is for all. That means he's for you. He's for me. He's for your enemy. He's for your favorite child. You know you've got one. Don't lie. He's for everyone. And in a year like 2020, we need to hear this message. He's for us. He's not against us. A lot of people are asking this question today. Why would God allow coronavirus to happen? Why does God let something like what we've seen in our culture and our society for so many years, like brutal slavery and injustices, why would, why would God allow something like that to happen back in, two, back in the early 2000s? Why did, why did 9-11 happen? Why did Tyler and Hannah have to go through this pain? Why four years ago did we have another family in our church go through almost the identical pain? Why have you lost a child? Why have, why have you lost folks to cancer? Why do we have, if God is there, why doesn't he stop this? And I've come to understand not just through theological study but through personal experience that God is not there to stop the course of sin. He's there through it. That's the gift. The gift is that He's there. And that He ultimately removes it. And that the end will not be grief and sorrow but joy and sorrow will meet and joy will overcome in that day. offers us a clear message. He's for you and not against you. He is with you. He is not far from you. He is personal. He is not ambivalent. He came to be your Savior. And lastly, as we close this morning, He offers us a clear path. Why did He offer us a clear path? Because we're sheep. And sheep need a clear path. I'm horrible at directions. Horrible. Somebody tells me something, and I'm so glad to have, to, have, to have GPS now because I don't have to go through the embarrassment of asking directions and then forgetting them before they even get them out of their mouth. And then Stacy rolling her eyes at me like, oh, why don't you just let me drive? I need a clear path. You need a clear path. God knew that. And he gave a very clear path called the Gospel. See, so the shepherds at this point are in total shock. They're like, are we really seeing this? Are we really seeing this? Or I, mean, I saw some of the sheep eating some, some mushrooms and I thought they looked good, so I ate them too, and I don't know if I'm hallucinating or what. Some of you will get that later. They're in total shock, and that's why the angel said this, don't be afraid. And this is what he says in verse number 12. He says, I'm going to give you a very clear path. This will be a sign for you, meaning, hey guys, as you go looking, here's the sign. <laughs> You will find the baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Because they're about to leave, they're about to go and say, hey, if you choose to go to Jesus, here's what you come looking for. Just as God sent his messenger to guide the shepherd straight to Jesus, we've been given a guide straight to Jesus too. 66 books that all of them point straight to him. God has given us teachers and preachers. And good Christian grandmas that continue to share the gospel with you. Good Christian friends to try to share the gospel of peace to you and just point you to Jesus. Let me tell you this. If they're pointing you to anyone else but the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, they're pointing you wrong. That's why it's so important for us as a church that we give a clear path. That nothing is on that path but Jesus. Nothing but Jesus. If you haven't until today, let me be clear, you will find peace and joy in Christ and you will find Jesus Christ the moment you decide to come to him the moment. He's not going to take you through twists and turns to try to find him. He's saying, I'm right here, come to me. And he painted it in red on a big cross. I love what it says in verse number 15 and 16. When the angels left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said one to another, let's get to Bethlehem. Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord made known to us. And it says, And they hurried off. It doesn't say what they did with the sheep. I don't know if they came along or if they left them. I don't know. But they didn't wait. They didn't say, hey, let's go home and shower. Let's go home and do all of this stuff. They didn't say, hey, we're not allowed to go to the temple. Why would we be allowed to go to the Son of God? They didn't think it over. They knew their need, and they ran. That's the best response we can have to Jesus. To know my need and to run. The shepherds did exactly what we need to do. Don't wait. Don't delay. <laughs> Just throw your faith to Jesus. And everything you have, you say, my faith is small right now. That's okay. He t- he'll take a mustard seed of faith. Just take it. Run straight to Jesus. Don't wait. Don't debate. Don't delay. Run straight to him now. And then in verse number 17, this is the beautiful thing too. God gives us the complete picture of the gospel in the very first scene of Jesus. After seeing them, they reported the message that they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them, but Mary was treasuring all these things in her heart and meditating on them. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. The shepherds, after they ran to Jesus themselves, after they saw Jesus, after they met Jesus, what did they do? They started telling everybody about what they had seen and what they had heard. This is how the gospel is to spread. Word of mouth, soul to soul, person to person, disciple to unbeliever who then becomes disciple. This story doesn't make any conventional sense at all. That he came in a stall instead of a palace, that he came to shepherds instead of sultans, that he came to undeserving people instead of to the righteous that he came as a baby instead of a warrior. And the reason for that is because life doesn't make sense. And he knows that in the most deep chaos of life, there's still a clear path to him. So as we close out this morning and go to a time of response and invitation, the miracle of the story of Christmas is that God came. But even deeper in that is the way that he came and who he came to. See, because the way he came speaks to each one of us. See, he came to us in chaos. So understand this, if you're in chaos right now, know that he is there. He came to us in our humility. So if you're in brokenness and shame and you feel beaten down right now and you feel like, I got nothing left, you're in the perfect place to come to Jesus. He's there. He came to us in our lowliness, that we will never be so low that God can't reach us. He came to us without us deserving it, that grace is totally of God to give, and it's totally of us to receive. We don't have to manufacture it. God's grace is there, and He chose a simple message that if you will believe and come to me, I'll give you rest, and He chose a clear path. He's guided us straight to Him through the Gospel. There have probably been points in your life all along the way where God was pointing straight to His Son, and maybe you missed it, maybe you saw it, I don't know, but I believe there are points in our lives along life's journey that there are signposts that say, Jesus and hope and redemption is this way. Maybe you missed it. Today, don't miss it. To clear path to Jesus, just like the shepherds, here's a sign to you. You'll find Jesus. For us today, it's not in a manger. For us today, we find Jesus high and lifted up but he had to go to the cross and to an empty tomb first. The question I have today as we close out is, have you found Jesus? Have you had that moment in your life as the lowly shepherd who ran to him? Have you ran to him? If you have not run to him, today's the day to run to him. If you're watching, you're, it's simple. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus died to, grow, to, to save you from your sins and call upon him. I don't know how that looks for you. But for me, here's how it looked when I was like 10 years old. I said, I was the same age as my daughter just turned today. (laughs) I said, Lord, I know that you're my Savior because I've been in church my whole life, but I still hadn't run to him yet. I knew he was the Savior. I knew where he was, but I still hadn't truly run to him yet. And so here's what I did. I said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I'm putting my faith and my trust in you, and I want to be yours. And that moment, he saved me. He asks for us to come. Will you come? Of all the gifts that you'll receive at Christmas, there is nothing like this gift. And the greatest gift that you can give to your friends and family members that love you is for you to first know Christ and then to share Him with them if they don't know Him too. So as we go into a time of prayer, I want to just lead in, this, in that prayer that I prayed when I was young. It's not, it's not a, a mantra, it's not an incantation or ritualistic thing. what you mean from your heart to God if you want to come to Jesus today you've not been saved then pray this prayer Lord thank you that you love me enough to connect with me Lord Jesus thank you that you love me enough to give yourself for my sins and I'm asking you to forgive me and with all my faith I'm trusting you as my Savior to follow you as my Lord thank you for saving me in Jesus name amen if you prayed that today God saved you if you have questions about that, we're going to have a time of response, and if you need to come and pray after the service is over with, I'll be around and if you need to talk, I'll be there. Or if you're online and you have questions, reach out to us at Gracewaylex at gmail.com. Today's the day of salvation. But church, let me ask you too. Are we like the shepherds? How good are we doing at sharing and telling people? Because when we find a good thing, we need to share it. And that's what I want to close with. That's just the closing thought I had today. When we find a good thing, we need to share it. Share it like the shepherds. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time that we've had with you today. (sighs) I pray, Lord, that you will be with us in a way that that we've never known and experienced. We know that there are those among us who are hurting right now, and I pray that you will continue and that you will minister peace to them. And I pray that their broken heart, their broken spirit and soul will be able to feel it even if it's little by little. I pray today, too, that in this world that's broken right now, that they'll feel it as well, that they're going to feel that through us being the messengers to say, hope is here. He has a name. It's Jesus. He's Emmanuel. He is with us. Be with us over this, this Christmas season, and may you be bigger in our hearts and in our lives than you ever have been before. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.